We're now moving into the, the autumn session uh, and we're going back into the book of Luke where we left off and it's Luke chapter 5 that we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, we'll continue in doing this for the, the, the remainder of this year and we'll be taking sections of it uh, each week. Uh, so if you could turn with me to um, Luke chapter 5, we're going to be looking in two sections, actually, but we'll read the first section of just verses 12 to 16, which is, is headed up just the, the man with leprosy. And we'll just uh, maybe take that for half the session and then we'll read on the second section, which is Jesus heals the, the paralytic. We want to be looking at this with a view to uh, obviously understanding the story um, which I'm assuming looking around everybody here knows and has read many times and uh, what we're trying to do of course is to look a little bit deeper um, to try and get into um, the mind and the heart of Christ to try and understand why he did what he did why he said what he did and to apply it in our own lives uh, in an understanding way that helps us spiritually to grow because this is the whole purpose of uh, God's living word is that what appears sometimes from a, a like a Sunday school story we should be uh, each time we read it growing in understanding and an appreciation of his living word because the word that makes the Bible so different from any other book is that the more you read it, the more you get out of it and the, the deeper you can go. And no matter how long you live, you're never going to get to the bottom because we need the Holy Spirit within us to reveal these things. And of course, we want him to do that again today. So let's just read quickly the first section then from uh, Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. So I'm reading from the NIV. That while Jesus was... In one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Just a few things I think just maybe to kickstart it uh, again a, a familiar passage the first thing that I picked out about this was that the man was full of leprosy leprosy is often used in scripture as a, a a really awful and serious disease which it was then and Reading up about it, I think it was uh, there's a terminology that was used for leprosy that probably we wouldn't use today. Uh, it did seem then to cover 
a lot of things, like any sort of skin disease, and any um, outward uh, flesh problems, and the, the, it was labelled as leprosy. And it was felt at those, in those days that it was contagious, and uh, there was very strict rules about how you had to conduct yourself if you were deemed to have got leprosy. You had to be separated from everybody else. You were an outcast, and it was so serious. Um, we'll think about it later, but I mean, in Moses' law, there were r rules and regulations that uh, if you found yourself having been cleansed of it, and this is why it makes it a little bit odd that if it, leprosy today, whether you'd ever just it would ever just clear itself up, but maybe sort of skin infections and such like would. But leprosy, maybe, I'm talking about stuff I don't really know here, but I'm imagining that it was something that uh, it was, it ate and it took over your body and it killed you. And uh, so when it talked about in Moses' laws about the fact that there were some people who could present themselves to the priest as having been cleansed, then whatever that illness was, maybe that was different from what we would look at as leprosy today. Anyway, that aside, I think the big picture that we need to be looking at is to be looking at this uh, sickness, this illness, in, as like sin. This man, it says he was full of leprosy. Um, it points to the fact that each one of us would look on ourselves as being full of sin. There's no a little bits and big bits. <laughs> I think in leprosy you might get situations where you have a little bit of leprosy, maybe in a one finger or one hand. Uh, this man seemed to have it all over his body. Um, so it was advanced stages, which might indicate that maybe he didn't have a long to live, I don't know. But he was absolutely full of it. There was no doubt that what he had, it was evident. And of course, when we link that to sin, um, there is something, I think, that we need to be aware of, is that leprosy is something you're aware of. You can't hide it. Well, you can hide it for a period of time, but it eventually starts to show itself. He came, he's a man who came and he sought Jesus. Again, these are gospel messages that you can get from this, of course, is that the fact that he sought Jesus. We'll think about this a little bit more as to, well, why didn't Jesus seek him? He sought Jesus because that is the way for salvation, is that it is not something that is forced upon you. It's not something that you are... Uh, rammed into a corner and told in no uncertain terms you've got to do this this is entirely a free will choice and Jesus has always said he that cometh to me I will not cast out and so the first steps have to be taken by us so this man he had to recognise his situation and then he had to physically come and he came to Jesus recognising his condition 
and his need for Jesus. Now, that, I mean, that sounds pretty basic stuff. But we live in a world which is teaching people exactly the opposite. And it just, again, it's something we need to be constantly aware of, is that um, this world, the media, or however you want to portray the, the people, the influence that is brought to bear on people today is they're telling you, actually, there's nothing wrong with you. And that, if you have got a problem, well, it's not your fault. Um, you know, it might be hereditary. It might be something that you've uh, inadvertently come in contact with or whatever it might be that causes um, difficulties in your life, that causes uh, malfunctions, that causes disease, that causes maybe early death. It's not your fault. And of course, it, it's perfectly understandable that you, you could adhere to a lot of that and say, well, that, that's right, isn't it? Unless you look at all disease and all these problems as coming from sin. And then you look at it in a wider sphere and say, well, it's all, you're born in sin. And the difficulties that we have in our bodies, the diseases and such like, the deformities or the problems, whether they're physical or mental, they all come back to sin. And I think it's the necessity that when we're talking to people, that's where we need to go right away back to and, and sort of attack, if you like, and explain to people. There's no point in saying to them, it's not your fault, and trying to brush it aside and saying, well, with medicine or whatever, you can clear this and you can clear that, which is quite true, of course, we're all involved in that. But that's not getting to the root cause, the root problem. And that just covers it up. And it's Satan's way of trying to keep people away from the, the root problem, which is sin. This man recognised his condition and he recognised where he needed to go to get that condition sorted. And it wasn't a physician. There was also evidence of humility in this man because it says that he came to Jesus and he bowed down. Again, I think when we are coming to Jesus, we also need to be humble. We don't come or we shouldn't come to the Lord Jesus making deals, um, making covenants with him and saying, well, I'll do this if you do that or whatever. Again, it, when we're coming in a sinful state as a, a person who has not accepted Christ as our saviour, who is born in sin, who is destined to die in sin, and the recognition needs to be that there is absolutely nothing I can do about this. Now, this is basic salvation talk, but it's something that we shouldn't actually ever feel that we are above or beyond and that we can forget that because now we are Christians and we don't need to worry about that anymore because the condition and the realisation of what you've been saved from should never be something that we ever put aside as put on the shelf as something that was in the past. Because our appreciation of God 
our understanding of Christ, our uh, acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit within us, all comes down to this humility that we need to have before God. That thanks be to God. Thanks be to him for what, where I've come from. Never forget where we've come from in this born in sin, this leprosy that we are full of. And there is absolutely nothing we can do about it, no matter how good a life we live or whatever. We've always got to remember we come to him totally dependent. Now this man, is, you're seeing the picture of him coming and falling down before Christ and saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. It's very interesting that this man had got to that point and had thought about it and had enough understanding to realise that this was not just a foregone conclusion, that um, he would have seen leprosy all around him, he would have seen people die of it, he would have known people who would have died of it, and he would have known that was going to happen to him. And he seemed to need one hope, and it has to come from the man Christ Jesus. The desire to be cleaned is, that's the basic belief. That understanding his condition, he knew what he needed to do. And so therefore, that desire has to be come to the fore in order for the action to take place. It's always been the way, the way that God has worked. And as we've talked about many times, you know, he could have created a world that's not with no sin. And we would never have known about sin. We'd never have encountered sin. Therefore, we would never have been able to make a choice. That choice is there for us now. And we can see the effects of sin. And it's blatant. And there is an alternative. If you're willing, that is submission to the grace of God. I don't know whether... You know, you, you ever spend time sitting back and thinking, you know, what if, uh, if, if I hadn't met the Lord Jesus? If I had taken a different route, if I hadn't gone to that Sunday school, or if I hadn't met that person who led me to Christ, whatever, you think, what, what would have happened? Maybe you might think that's a bit of a pointless exercise, except that going down that route makes me shudder a little bit. And it helps in our um, lives as we interact with other people that we might find very clearly are unsafe people. People who have clearly either don't believe in God or if they believe in God, they certainly don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or his atoning saving power. And unless we've got a deep-rooted understanding of what we could have ended up like, like the rich man in Hades, that picture that's painted by the Lord Jesus of a horrendous place, then we, we can't really understand the grace of God in taking us out of that. 
through him sending his son in order to give us a choice in order to give us life eternal if we would only choose him so the if you're willing that submission is again it's not our right um, everybody is born in sin it is not our right that because you're born in England or because you happen to have Christian parents or grandparents that therefore you have a right to salvation you don't neither, neither do I and so you come and it's just I think going through that experience again that we have gone through some of us may be far too young to really remember it all but keep going back to it so that we can constantly be saying thank you which makes something like the remembrance so much more poignant and uh, appreciative because you're doing something that you understand and affects your life on a daily basis the Lord Jesus says in this story that he touched the man it's one of the things that's remarkable you know, when we think about the Lord Jesus Christ coming down from heaven and what we understand of heaven, the basic knowledge that we have of heaven and the glory of heaven, to be giving all that up and coming and he's come down to touch sin. And he touched it in such a way that, again, it's difficult for us to appreciate, but I think it's well worth our while meditating on these things as to what did it was it like for Christ, the sinless Son of God, to touch sin. We all sin, and we like to think about our sins as being personal and private, and sometimes they're not, and become more open, but they're before God they are open, and we're all full of it, full of sin. And the fact that Christ came and he touched that, and on more than that, he became sin. He bore our sin. To be just meditating on what does all that mean? We often think about the scapegoat going out and you know, the, having had the, the, the hands of the priest pressed on him and the sins of Israel for one year put on that poor little goat and it goes out to die. You think, what did the goat feel like? It's always a good meditation to, to think. It's hard to think what an animal thinks anyway, but just to be imagining it could think like us. I think, and what, you know, what have I done? You know, I've been minding my own business in the field, and now I've got this weight of sin, this horrible, all the horrible things these people have done for a year. And it's only a group of about a few million people for sins for one year, and I've got to bear all this. I've got to die for it then to be thinking about Christ. He bore the sin of the world. And just meditate on that and think, what did that feel like? Sometimes it's easy for us to, I think, um, fall into the, call it a trap, of, uh, of thinking about the Lord Jesus just having uh, a few hours on the cross, which was quite painful, and then he died and everything was quite good after that, because he brought back to the dead, back from the dead again. We don't 
fully understand what went on between God and his son in these three hours of darkness. And again, you might think, well, because we don't know, is it worth meditating on? Yes, it is. Because it must have been horrendous. The physical thing that we do understand was horrendous enough. But to then think about what did it feel like when God punished his son? God's punishment was no little thing. Even if it was only, in our terms, for a few hours. Even if it was only for that period of darkness where he was crushed. When you read Psalm 22 and Psalm 69 and you get a a flavour that was given to David, then it's horrendous. It gives you a little bit of an insight into it. And then again, it comes back to, well, that was my contribution, my sin. He didn't just have to take the punishment for that. He bore it. He became it. He sympathises with our weaknesses because I think, you know, when the, when the Lord Jesus... I better waste my time here going to the next one. Is it um, when Jesus said to the man, once his, uh, he was made clean, he, he ordered him, don't tell anyone but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded. You often, you know, wonder, there's lots of thoughts about it as to why did he say, don't tell anyone? And I think it goes back to the purpose of the Lord Jesus to come to earth was not to make sick people well. That was a, a secondary thing. It was to give eternal life. And of course, his teaching, and we're going to see this in the next story, it was his teaching that was all the more important. And this is what he wanted to do, uh, was to teach, because he wanted to show people that they could get out of this, that they could have salvation, that they could uh, break free from the bondage of sin. And whilst... He needed, as he realised, of course, way back, um, he had to prove himself. He had to show them. He had to um, make people aware of who he was. Um, It was, he knew that if people got to know about his ability to to, um, heal, then these people were just going to come in their hordes with all their relatives and their own problems and they would be spending all this time dealing with the here and now which were important but faded somewhat in comparison to the eternal future which was why he'd come. So I think it was the reason why he was saying just keep it quiet, try and keep it quiet, do the right thing, go to the priests and go through the ritual. And I think if you look at, if you get time, if you can look at Leviticus 14, then you will find out what that uh, um, process uh, entailed, which uh, 
it's well worth reading it and, and looking in deep into it as to why God commanded it to be so. That somebody who had been sin, covered in sin, covered in leprosy, and he was presenting himself as now being clean, had to go through this ritual because it all pointed to Christ and the, the taking of two birds and one dying and the uh, killing it over running water, living water. All of it, you read all of that uh, and the importance of taking these steps was all pointing to the process of salvation that's, as being done by Christ. And it was all in Moses' law. And it was all pointing to Christ. And here Christ is saying to him, almost as if this is not necessary because you're now clean anyway but it's for them it's for them to understand and it's for them to know that we are doing this in the right way for the right purpose and it's been done by me so let's just quickly go on to the the next part of the chapter which is jesus heals the paralytic so this is verse 17 of chapter 5 one day as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying, some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. This was uh, an interesting point to take up was that we also know from other uh, dealings that the Lord Jesus had with people of faith. Remember the centurion and the, the woman of Galilee who, who came to him and said to him, look, you don't actually need to come um, you can heal from afar. And the Lord um, praised them for their faith. Here, he's doing the same thing to people who didn't have that faith, but had a different level of faith. They felt there was a necessity to get this sick friend in front of Jesus so that Jesus could deal with him physically and the Lord acknowledged that 
And I think, again, it's lovely just to see the grace of God in this, is that it's not as if it's very strict in the way in which faith is accepted by God. God accepts the faith of a mustard seed. And some have greater faith than others. And you're seeing the Son of God accepting the faith. Whether it's someone who says, I have faith, you can heal my daughter or my son, whatever, miles away. I believe that. And that's true. Or you bring him to his feet and say, you need to touch him. I think it's lovely just to see the grace of God in the person of Christ there. I just prepared to, he didn't chastise him and say, look, you don't need all this trouble. Um, if, you had, uh, if you had just come to me, I could have done it remotely. He didn't do that. Because he understands the mind and the level of the appreciation and the faith of the man and his friends, that that was good enough. In comparison, you have the Pharisees sitting there, and they are like the ungenerate, the unsaved people who are listening to the sound of the message, and they have no faith. Um, They are not being healed. You know, when I said before, I think that the the main crux of that story, I think, is, of course, when the Lord says to the man, uh, your sins are forgiven. That was horrendous. I mean, that must have been absolutely shocking to everybody that was there because they're thinking, here's a man who can't move, who has to be carried by his friends, who's so publicly been brought through the roof and he doesn't deal with the problem. He said, your sins are forgiven, though. He's still paralyzed. He's still lying there. Nothing happened. Nothing changed. And I think that is something that really got them sitting up. Because, as I said at the beginning, I think this was what the Lord was been trying to get across. I say trying, I don't mean that in a, a derogatory way as if he was having difficulty with it. Uh, it was difficulty getting through to the, the mindset of the people who wanted the physical things. They wanted to see the here and now. They wanted the Lord Jesus to be kicking the Romans out of Israel. He wanted them to be the great leader. They wanted him to be seen to be all-powerful and not as something, somebody who's dealing with the spiritual, the things that they couldn't see and obviously were struggling to understand. And so he used this here as a very public way of saying to them, which is easier? <laughs> is it easier for me to say, take up your bed and walk? Or is it easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven? It was easy for the Lord to heal the man and he could have got up and he could have walked away. And then a few years later he would have died and gone to hell, possibly. And then what would that have achieved? It would have achieved a few, uh, maybe, enjoyable years in this life. 
That was not why Christ had come. He had come to give eternal life. And so, by saying your sins are forgiven you, you have eternity. You have life forever. It was getting their heads around that. They couldn't see it. And of course, the Pharisees latch on to it and say, who do you think you are, God? And the answer is yes. They couldn't see that. I think when he then almost shaking his head, I imagine, and, and just sort of uh, in almost exasperation, he said, well, look, just to prove it, because you're having difficulty with it, then I'll also show you the physical manifestation of my power. And he said, take up your bed and walk. And the man got up. Now that must have been a remarkable thing just to watch. And especially for his friends. And for I imagine that this was in Capernaum, which we read about in another book. Uh, a, a town that I'm sure everybody would have known each other. They would have known this man. Maybe he'd been paralytic for years possibly. And uh, they would have known him. This was no con. He gets up. And he's praising God. And he carries his bed. And he walks out of the place. There was no doubt about the physical power of um, raising the man out of his sickness. But the bigger thing was his sins had been forgiven. And that meant so much more for those that were able to understand that. And that started the big debate afterwards. Um, and they were filled with awe and were discussing it amongst themselves, saying, we have seen remarkable things. So, a few thoughts just to leave you with. Um, we who have had our sins forgiven should be filled with awe continuously and never lose the satisfaction and the peace and the power of our salvation that keeps us going on to continue to praise God for all that he's accomplished for us. And whilst in our illness and our sickness we pray for these things to be lifted, whilst we want an easy life, we want a peaceful life, we want a pain-free life, that was never on offer. God has never said that will always be the case for Christians. But there's no harm in praying for that and God in his grace does grant that to some. Never lose sight of the bigger picture. The better thing is your sins are forgiven you. Shall we pray?